Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges, and today, y'all, we got a we got a really special episode. Um today we are talking the 2011 masterpiece Green Lantern. That's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, a movie that gets far more hate than it deserves. I, I, I still like it. I enjoy it. It's a good movie. There's my voice going up as I lie to all of you. No, I'm kidding. I, I do enjoy the film. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's not, it's not great, but it's not horrible. We're not talking 2004's Catwoman, are we? Oh God, are we? Huh, sorry, I just was overcome with fear. <laughs> like the like in the movie. <clears throat> anyway, my guest today is Chris Clow. Uh you know him from Batman on Film, Comics Binge podcast, um the Comics on Console podcast. I mean, you know, probably six or seven other podcasts and I'm forgetting. I'm sorry, Chris. But, you know, uh Chris is always a welcome guest here. He's he's really smart and cool and just uh, he has a lot of he has a lot of good stuff to say, and it's very interesting to listen to. Very bright, just a. I don't know how he fits all that knowledge in his head, but um, probably, probably with books. I don't know. I don't know how he does it. Uh, anyway, uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, you know on iTunes, uh, please. You know, like and subscribe, uh, write a review, get our name out there. Um, feel free to share with your friends. Um, also, you can reach us at at Four Comic Junkies on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a Four Comic Junkies page on Facebook, and also, you know, we're uh, uh, Four Comic Junkies at Gmail dot com. You know, feel free to send a review, say how much you like the show, say how much you don't like the show, say how much you wish that you know you were doing the show instead of me and. And how you're Sinestro and I'm Hal and you're going to come at me with a couple of swords or something. I don't know. Don't, don't actually do that, please. That would be scary. All right. Without further ado, let's get into it. Green Lantern. What a, what a time to be alive. Um, it is 80 years of Green Lantern awesomeness. Um, but when we talk about 80 years of Green Lantern, what we really mean is 80 years of Alan Scott. But of course, most people think of uh, Hal Jordan or, you know, maybe they think of Kyle Rayner. I don't know. Um, but today we're going to talk about the 2011 masterpiece film Green Lantern. And with me today is the uh, always eloquent and... Super cool dude, Chris Clow. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for uh, inviting me to go down memory lane. I don't think I've podcasted about this movie really since it came out, and that was almost 10 years ago. I, isn't that crazy to say? It's almost 10 years old. Um, yeah. And what a... I have to say, you know... Um, for for my money in the uh, mid aughts, you know, from like two thousand five to two thousand ten, Green Lantern was my jam. That was my favorite comic book, um, and 
so when they announced the movie, it was like, oh my gosh, match made in heaven. And I have to say that, man, it's just, it's, you know, I mean, you can't see me, the audience can't see me, but it's this close to being good. It's this close. It has all the right ingredients, I think. It just, it just didn't quite hit the mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people were in the same place that you were just because, um, in terms of rebuilding the, the mythology, uh, DC really gave Jeff Johns the resources that he needed to turn the, the, the core into a cornerstone of the DC universe again. And I mean, it's hard to imagine now, especially for fans that might've come into the fold with rebirth or maybe even more recently than that, but there was a long stretch of time where the, the green lantern core was decimated and, uh, and it didn't begin to really rebuild its ranks until green lantern rebirth and green lantern core recharge when uh when things were kicked back into gear and and now it's hard to imagine a dc universe without that so the fact that so much popularity in the comics basically helped to give birth to a major motion picture which is what pretty i mean i'm simplifying things but that's Mm -hmm. pretty much what happened uh it was a really really exciting time to be a green lantern fan especially if you just kind of came aboard the Green Lantern train with with Johns's run in the comics and Dave Gibbons and Peter Tomasi, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. I I didn't understand the greatness uh, that you could reach with Green Lantern stories until I started reading uh, what Johns was doing on a regular basis, and it was just the DC book to read uh, pretty much the entire time that he that Johns had the book. So going into a movie theater in the summer of 2011 to see that segment of the world brought to life in a big budget movie mm-hmm. was really, really exciting. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't despise the movie as much as a lot of other people do just because it, I still take quite a lot of enjoyment out of seeing a lot of these characters that I never thought I'd see in a movie show up in a movie. Um, but yeah, it's hard to it's hard to discount uh, where it misses the mark because when it does miss the mark, it misses it pretty badly. <laughs> uh, for sure, it and it, you know, the the way I was thinking of it, you know, it's like, it, you know, call it too many cooks in the kitchen or whatever, which is definitely the case. Warner Brothers is one of the worst when it comes to you know when you hear the term studio interference. They, I mean, they're super guilty of all that. Um, and they have been many times over. Um, but it's just like, the, it. in my mind, it's like they had all the right ingredients, you know? It's like they were going to make a Green Lantern cake. And maybe they didn't put enough flour in it or they put, too, you know, too much milk or, you know, they didn't... I don't know. There was just... I, I, I watch it even now and I, you know, like you, I, I find enjoyment in it. It's, it's still a fun movie to me. Um, and part of that is due to you know i'll give i'll give credit to ryan reynolds you know he's not bad in the role i just think that he hal jordan in particular was written poorly in the film i think yeah and i don't i don't necessarily disagree with that i mean reynolds performance 
I'd actually argue is pretty good. But yeah, the problem is that the that the writing doesn't really understand the 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 core of, of who Hal Jordan is supposed to be. I mean, it, I think that probably comic book fans are more sensitive to the um, the deviations that the movie tried to go with because it wasn't too long. Um, I think it was 2009 that Green Lantern's Secret Origin came out, where mm-hmm. Johns basically took his crack at, at the at the genesis of Hal Jordan joining the Green Lantern Corps, and that was such a strong story. And Johns really did an excellent job of emphasizing why Hal Jordan was a guy who, at, by a certain point, had melted his fears away when i think in, in the story it even says you know when the, when your greatest fear happens before your eyes there's nothing left to be afraid of anymore paraphrasing right. but that's that was a really really strong thematic component of a recent adaptation of uh of the character's origin story or not even adaptation just evolution of the character's origin story mm-hmm and because that was at the forefront of, of the source material at the time, the fact that that wasn't as adequately represented in the movie felt off. And in, instead, you had a guy who was probably feeling fear a little too much. I'm sure that what they were thinking was that we have to we have to show him overcoming fear in this movie. That's that's like the conflict that we want to present. Right. But that's not really the conflict of Hal Jordan joining the Corps. It's this guy who has very, very little structure, who is starting to learn to act within a structure and to to really keep himself in check. It's not that he needs to overcome fear as much as he needs to understand how to apply himself. But I guess they thought that, well, having him overcome fear will be a more compelling story, but it ended up being... Uh, wrong. Well, there's there's two different ways to do it, and I think that they chose the wrong way to do it. You know, they chose to make make him just like stubborn and just like when the going gets tough, he would quit, which is one way to do it. But that didn't sit right with me. That's not Hal Jordan. You know, it's like when the when the going gets tough, he pushes back harder, and it and it tends to piss off everybody around him. And that's Hal Jordan, you know what I mean? So there's the two different ways to do it, and I think they chose the wrong way. And again, you know, I know what you're saying. They they were trying to show him overcoming fear and everything, but I think that another way to show him overcoming fear or just being, <clears throat> you know, just being stubborn and just being like, like, nope, nope, I got this, I got this, I got this, and then have somebody, presumably um, Carol, be like, you don't have this. You need to take a step back and have him recognize Okay, you're right. I, you know, I'm, 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 posturing. You know what I mean? Because I'm so afraid. You know what I mean? I, that's that's more Hal Jordan to me, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the fact of overcoming fear. I mean, that's the thing that initially attracts the ring to him right. in the comics is the fact that he has done that. The fact that he basically has a hard time feeling fear. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is something that helps him to to overcome it. Uh, the movie's interpretation of uh, the fact that he is still a guy with uh, who who has problems being afraid and, and surrendering. Um, yeah, that is a, a pretty blatant character violation. I mean, especially considering that 
there are stories that were published with Hal Jordan around this time where it depicts him as like one of his shortcomings is that he does not know when to stop. Right. Like it, it's, it's one thing to, to say, I'll never give up. And you know, there's the, there's the heroic countenance that comes with that. But Hal Jordan does not know when to quit. Like it is just against every single fiber of his being. So seeing him quit, even in a story that's supposed to take place before he becomes a great Green Lantern, mm-hmm. is jarring. Yeah. But I mean, that's but that's also just for us, right? I mean, that's not the reason that this movie didn't connect with wider audiences who aren't as familiar with who this guy is in the comics. I mean the the reasons that the movie didn't connect, uh, I don't know, the, the, the coherency of the writing, I mean, you alluded to the idea of too many cooks in the kitchen, yeah, and I think that there is a lot of truth to that, but um, I mean, this, this movie was really just kind of all over the place. There wasn't like a single thematic thread that ended up defining it. And, uh, and it made for kind of a haphazard watching experience. Uh, but again, when the movie was on, it was really on. And yeah. I think some examples of that, uh, clearly Sinestro is yes. one of the absolutely best parts of the movie. I mean, Mark Strong, he... he nailed it. It sounds... He, I mean, not only did he nail it, but it also sounds like he really wanted the the appearance preserved because he understood that the character's like overly manicured appearance and uh and desire for structure uh was something that was important to the way that he approached the character and it ended up being absolutely true yeah mark strong is the reason is really one of the primary reasons i enjoy revisiting this movie today but also jeffrey rush is the voice of toma ray Mm -hmm. is spectacular michael clark duncan is the voice of kilowog is awesome and tamara morrison as avid sir is really perfect casting yeah uh it's it's just they didn't combine the elements efficiently enough to to make a difference and i mean hector hammond as as a primary villainous force is also a good idea on paper but it was also a very different take and i think if they stuck closer to who we understand hector to be in the comics that would have translated into a villain that uh would have connected with people more well they it it was interesting where they set up you know an interesting rivalry there's it's it's literally edited so that when uh when hal is being taken to space uh, to become a Green Lantern, like Hector is also kind of transforming into his villainous side. So it's like, so I'm watching it going, whoa, this is a cool parallel. Like, what are they going to do with this? And and then nothing really, you know, <laughs> like, like like you said, they too, too much, too much was going on. Um, and I wish they would have leaned into their strength and their strength was Sinestro. Um, and it, that, that idea of uh, like the animated film, the Green Lantern First Flight, which is you know a far superior film, um, it they they did lean into that. They you know they were like, okay, so it's training day in space, and as much as like that sort of uh, it's almost a cliche to say it at, at this point, but it's like that's kind of what you should have done. You know, like it it almost would have been better like 
there's a reason that when Batman 89 came out, the Joker was the main villain. Because it's like, if anybody knows anything about Batman, it's that the Joker is his main villain. So, and Green Lantern doesn't have that much going for him, but if he has anything going for him, somebody might know that Sinestro is his main villain. I mean, maybe I'm giving too much credit to the general audience, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but you know. Well, no, no, I think, I, I think what you're observing is generally correct in the sense that it, it, at least before a certain point, the primary villain for the character was usually pushed forward in a first movie for that character. Yeah. I don't totally agree with you just because uh, I really like the idea of Sinestro just being a member of the core. Mm -hmm. Because that, to me, signifies a potentially greater payoff once he actually does take his villainous turn. And this movie does try to set that up. I mean, whether it's effective or not is a, is a totally other debate. <laughs> but it does try to give the idea of here is this legendary Green Lantern. And it hints toward, at the very end, uh, that he could become a, a really potent antagonist. I mean, with Hector Hampton trying to fashion him as Hal Jordan's nemesis through like the editing, like you alluded to, mm -hmm. uh, where they they start their respective journeys at the same time. I understand what they're going for, but I mean, it's the same thing that Sam Raimi tried to do in Spider-Man Three with Venom and, and Spider-Man. Obviously, not with the origin story, but he tried to turn Venom into a parallel for for Peter Parker, right. like an anti-Peter <clears throat> Parker, and that's not really who. Eddie Brock is and uh, I mean it, in, in the sense that they're both photojournalists sure but there's a lot of specific differences in who they are how they look and, and the kinds of stuff that they do Yeah. and uh, and I don't think it worked well in Spider-Man 3 and I don't think it works particularly well in, in Green Lantern either I'm, I'm glad you brought up Spider-Man 3 because I think about that a lot where what what it could have been, you know, having Parallax being the main villain, kind of a strange choice in my mind, but, you know, I, I think sure. it, it works a little, um, but what I, um, but, you know, it's like, again, I think they, they sort of missed the opportunity in both films, where it's like with, with you know, the symbiote going to uh, Eddie, and then with Parallax coming to um, to Hal, it's like, you have an opportunity for these characters to literally face their demons, which is such a cool story. Um, and and then it just they just in both cases they drop the ball. It's like, man, like this this could have been really great. like the you know, if parallax had possessed Hector or Sinestro or whatever, you know, let's just say Hector in this case because that's to me, that's what they were building towards. Um, it's like if he had just done that, then it's like, suddenly you have this really great theme of this character has to face his demons, he has to face his failures, he has to face his past, whatever you want to call it, and and overcome them, which is a common trope, obviously, in fiction storytelling. Um, and, would, and would have been, and it's like, and you could have done it on this grand scale where you have Green Lantern that can conjure up anything, and, you know, Parallax that's just eating up worlds and killing everybody, you know, it, it just... If that makes any sense, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand what you're saying. I mean, the we know we have the benefit of knowing the promise of, of the highs that this world can bring creatively. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, and 
when we're so used to reading Green Lantern on a regular basis, especially at that time, and just coming away with really, really great feelings about where the book was going at the time and uh, and how it was being explored, it's, it's jarring when a movie that has so much energy behind it and so much uh, so much cash behind it too mm-hmm. and so many people working to try and, and, and emphasize the the grandeur of that world when, when it falls short it's it's really disorienting and I mean when I first came out of the movie the first time I watched it I remember being really frustrated because there weren't any theaters doing a midnight showing around me and I thought that was weird because you know this was 2011 so I had already gone to a midnight showing of Thor and it, I think I'd already had a ticket for Captain America the first Avenger and then mm-hmm. Green Lantern was in the middle and it didn't have uh, the same kind of dedication and I found that frustrating I guess the theater owners saw that the writing on the wall before most other comic book fans did yeah but um, the first time I watched it the the thing that was so I guess disappointing in my mind was that it didn't stir as many emotions as I was hoping it would mm-hmm. you know like being so invested in who the characters were I was expecting kind of a, a major ex- uh, experience out of it I did see what the what the critical reception was starting to look like as I was on my way into the theater and that probably took the wind out of the sails a little bit yeah but um, really in the in the in the past almost decade I will say that this movie isn't as bad as people seem to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, it's just it's kind of inoffensive. That's its biggest problem is that it does not excel. It just kind of exists, all things considered. And that doesn't make it bad. It makes it's it's an okay movie, but because uh, the legend of how bad it was has kind of overshadowed the movie itself. It's kind of created this obscured image of, of how bad the movie really is. And I don't think that it's nearly as atrocious, let's say, as something like uh, Steel or <laughs> Catwoman or Elektra. Yeah. Um, I. I mean, honestly, I might even prefer Green Lantern to about half of Superman three. Mm. It's uh, it, it, it's just it's just kind of there. Yeah, and uh, that's its biggest sin. I I definitely see what you're saying there, and I, I remember going to the theater and just being so in love with the character, and just probably just having rose colored glasses on, um, or green colored glasses maybe. Um, where I, I I defended the movie for the longest time. I kept saying, no, it's good. It's it's pretty good. Like, it's it's good. Like, it's not edited very well, but other than that, it's pretty great. And then uh, and then one of my really good friends at the time, uh, Corey, who's been on the podcast several times, he and I went to go see it, and he was like, man, I read some bad reviews. I don't know. I'm like, no, dude, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And during the movie, we were both like, oh, this is so great. And then, like, it was like years, a couple years down the line, we would just kind of be like, yeah, so... Yeah, that movie really wasn't that great. <laughs> it's just... Um, well, I don't think there's anything wrong either with the fact that a comic book movie is going to be absorbed by comic book fans yeah, differently yeah. than 
than a general audience is going to absorb it. You know, I mean, that, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. We have a higher level of awareness of, of who these characters are and what they can do. And even seeing characters rendered that you didn't think you'd ever see in a movie before, that's a thrilling experience for anybody. I mean, even if you're a fan of uh, a, a novel that turns into a movie, and you see a character that you maybe read about as a as a background, and all of a sudden, in, in on a giant movie screen in front of you, that's a thrilling experience, no matter who you are. Oh yeah. Um, when when the movie came out, uh, that was when I was in the thick of uh, of the Modern Myth Media podcast. Uh, so you know, I was on a on a regular basis talking with Sean Gerber and Paul Herman and, and John Beerley. And, uh, and we did a show about this movie, uh, I think a couple of days after it came out. And yeah, I was kind of in a similar boat as you. I, my, my perceptions were, I, I was overcome initially by the thrill of, I mean, you saw Chip in this movie. You didn't see him for very long, but you saw him. Like, yeah, he, he had a there. cameo, yeah. And that, and that was that was crazy to me and i mean i'm a huge kilowog fan so i was riding high off seeing kilowog and uh and the hint with the with the yellow ring was really cool to me and just mark strong and sinestro i still gush about because he deserves every bit of gushing that he can possibly get yeah he is the brightest light in this movie but um a lot of us on that panel were we were pretty happy with the movie at the time but Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's it it took us a while to come around i don't think you'll hear sean gerber say anything nice about it but he was all (laughs) about this movie when it came out and i was in a very similar boat to him in the sense that i thought that people were screaming too loudly about its shortcomings yeah um but ultimately you know in, in the fullness of time and with some distance, uh, I think we all kind of get to the same place and that this movie should have been better than it was. And, uh, and and that's one of the biggest tragedies about it. I think one of the things that, that hurt the movie the most, in my opinion, is when you have, you know, Martin Campbell, who's now kind of outspoken that he didn't want Ryan Reynolds in the role. Apparently he was going to cast Bradley Cooper, and Bradley Cooper also would have been great. Um, but... He so that created kind of a weird work environment, and and also just that Martin Campbell he clearly isn't a Green Lantern fan like you know and um, he just and not to say that like you know James Wan or uh, David F Sandberg are huge Aquaman or Shazam fans but they did their homework so they were like okay so how do we make these movies great and they knew how to make those movies great they absorbed the material and they made great movies out of it. Um, and Aquaman and Shazam are a ton of fun to watch, and, and there's a lot of emotional res- resonance in those films that is not present in this film. It was not made by somebody who, who, who really gave a crap, you know, and, that, and, that's, and that's a shame. Like, Greg Berlanti was supposed to direct it, but I guess for whatever reason he, he, had, he dropped out. Uh, um, I'm not 100% sure why, and, and that's a shame because I think if he had made it, the film would have looked would have looked completely different. Well, what you get with Martin Campbell, because I'm all things considered and generally speaking, I'm kind of a big fan of his just in terms of his ability as a director and his output, because for my money, he's made two of the absolute best James Bond movies. Oh yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not knocking his, his directing skills. I'm just saying he, 
didn't have that same. Right, right. You, you didn't yeah. have the passion. I right. understand where you're coming from. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and those those are two different things. But I think that the thing that ultimately did get him the job were his directing skills. They wanted someone who uh, who was reasonably experienced with big movies to to get this delivered on time and under budget. And I think that for all intents and purposes, he accomplished that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that is always strong to me about a Martin Campbell movie whenever I see it and the thing that was really encouraging to me when he was announced was just the fact that he is such a strong action director yes he I mean Goldeneye is probably a little less so but I mean especially in Casino Royale that movie punches you in the face yeah it feels very intense and it feels very raw and um, so when I when I heard his name for Green Lantern I was thinking well, I mean, it's not really a, a franchise that I think about when I'm trying to, to think of like raw, action-based, uh, gritty, dirty franchises. Mm-hmm. But I can see, like, if he can bring that same kind of sense of uh, uh, a danger, I guess, to action scenes that involve power rings being shot at, 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 uh, at a giant space cloud then that could potentially be really cool yeah ultimately that's I mean you see glimpses of that in Green Lantern but that is certainly not a, uh, a primary focus of, uh, of the action that's depicted in Green Lantern it's very kinetic there's a lot going on at uh, a lot of the time and uh, and I would say that the action scenes for, for what's there were pretty well choreographed yeah but um other elements of the movie you, you could tell the, what you talked about in terms of the passion yeah it just it wasn't quite there and maybe if he had had, had that he'd, he'd have been able to sort of bring it home more efficiently but mm-hmm. it didn't quite turn out that way well I think that there it's funny you know with, with the you know you talking about like yeah, I love the way you described Casino Royale that it's a punch in the face because it <laughs> definitely is um, in in a good way, or should we say, like a, a, a you know, a knock in the nuts? Um, but uh, but seriously, um, the and I remember thinking that that I always thought he'd be a great choice for like like a Superman movie. If you had like Superman fighting cyborg Superman, that would have been a re- like he could have directed the hell out of that scene. You know what I mean? But um, and and you know we have yet to see that in a movie for crying out loud. Um, <clears throat> but I digress. Anyway, <laughs> um, getting, but one of my, I mean, one of the best scenes in the film is when Sinestro and Hal first confront each other and fight. I, I'm, I, I love that scene. It's just right out of the book, you know, right out of the books where, you know, he's like, you know, Sinestro's like, shall we? And, and Hal, you know, conjures up a sword and, and Sinestro's like, oh, a sword, how human. And he conjures up two swords and he just keeps, just you know kicking the crap out of Hal and just belittling him he doesn't break a sweat and and Hal's just like in over his head and it's just such a visceral exciting scene and it's like you just see this hatred that he has for him not because he's human but because you know you you replaced my best friend and I I that doesn't sit right with me and that's performed so well um and it's just and again, 
going back to what we said before, the, the problem is, is that scene is undercut by how afterwards just going, yeah, he's right. I can't do this. I quit. And I just was like, come on, man. Like, like the re- yeah. the real Hal Jordan would have been like, screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to be the best damn Green Lantern you've ever seen. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's, uh, you know, that's the direction they went with uh, for, you know, whatever reason. But, uh, but you know. And, and that's why, um, because I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, Bradley Cooper probably would have been a better choice overall for, for Hal Jordan. But Reynolds does have the, uh, the very true element of swagger that you would expect from Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. But regardless of who would be cast the philosophy that drives who Hal Jordan is in this movie is just off base. So even if, uh, you know, as comic book fans, we would have seen a little bit more swaggerness from, it's a terrible word, but (laughs) more swagger from from Hal Jordan uh, in in the performance that someone like Cooper might have been able to provide, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it wouldn't have fixed the problems with the screenplay and how... The, the character would be positioned in the movie if all I mean I assume all other things would be equal in, uh, in in the movie and that it would have gone pretty much the same way save for whoever was in the lead performance but um, yeah it's, it's just it's just kind of off base and that's kind of surprising considering that most of the people that are involved in the in the screenwriting between Berlanti and Michael Green and Mark Guggenheim uh, three of the four are pretty well-known comics fans, yeah, and uh, and have a pretty keen understanding of of who these characters are and what their place is, especially considering what they went on to do on television. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, Michael Green, he wrote some pretty solid issues at DC Comics in the mid to late two thousands that not a lot of people seem to give the time of day today, but at the time they were pretty solid. And, um, yeah, he was one of those cooks in the kitchen. And it's just kind of unfortunate that it didn't all combine into something that was a little bit more recognizable with who that guy is. Am I correct in saying he was he was a writer on Smallville, too, wasn't he? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I think I think he and Mark Verheiden were on Smallville in the first couple of years. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, you know, it's like I'm seeing these names, and I didn't really know who Greg Berlanti was at the time, but I, I think I had seen Guggenheim's name on some comics, um, but I definitely remember Michael Green and, and thinking, oh, well, I mean, if they're writing the script, then you know, this is, you know, this is going to be great. And and again, there's there's so much that they get right in the film, and and unfortunately, one of the characters, probably the character that gets the shaft the most, is Carol. You know, it's such a who should be this like strong, you know, female character, um, but she doesn't. She doesn't. She's not. And Blake Lively's an amazing actress. Um, I, th- I think she's been nominated. I think for for Oscar, um, like since then. But um, I mean, obviously not for this movie. But um, <laughs> um, they they just they just don't really give her much to do, and it's unfortunate because she's. I mean, she could have been a powerhouse. She could have led a, a Star Sapphire spinoff if if they. If, you know, if, you know, they had gone that way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, all things told, I think both Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively are happy that they did this movie. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it worked out for them. 
<laughs> it worked out pretty well for them. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard to, to deny that uh, that just as a character, Carol does kind of get the, the short shrift because the dynamic that she normally brings to the table is uh, is a really potent one because in a lot of ways she is the only equal to Hal yeah. in, in different elements and uh and i mean you kind of get the the glimpse of that in this movie in the sense that she uh she's really the only one who can keep up with him Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the 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 length to which they take it and uh and and it, it is it is too bad i mean but really when it comes right down to it we can talk about this whole movie and everything that happened with it as just giant missed opportunity yeah and uh and that's its biggest sin. Again, I don't think that the that the movie is as terrible as people uh, largely kind of talk about today. But it is most definitely a missed opportunity. And uh, and again, it, it should have been better. Um, if it did anything right, it introduced me to Taika Waititi, um, who I forgot was in the movie. <laughs> um, oh. Uh, until recently rewatching it going it sounds, oh yeah <laughs> it sounds like he might prefer that you forget he was in the movie based <laughs> on, on some stuff I've seen from him recently well it's it's funny how many of these actors have gotten second chances in different uh, in different films you know Mark Strong in uh, Shazam um, and uh, you know Ryan Reynolds obviously you know finally getting the chance to do a proper Deadpool um, and uh uh, yeah, Tamara Morrison playing um, uh, uh, I forget his first name uh, Arthur's father in um, or Thomas Thomas Curry. Oh yeah, Thomas Curry. Yeah. Um, in in Aquaman, and you know, it's just it's interesting seeing that. You know, I, I'm glad that these actors weren't sullied by their experience making this film. You know, they, you know, but except maybe Ryan Reynolds, who in Deadpool two had that post credit scene that. I remember not laughing at. I was a little like, no, I'm I'm protective of this movie. That's not funny. I'm not okay with that. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I, I didn't laugh as as loudly at that. I think I chuckled a little bit because like that. That's the thing is that you know actors always have to to sort of worry about whatever their own branding is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, before the movie came out, of course, you know Reynolds was the Reynolds was the salesman. He was trying to sell the movie to as many people as possible. But right. now, considering, like, it really, honestly, a lot of the legend about how terrible the movie is has been fed by Ryan Reynolds. I think that that's a pretty safe thing to to say because yeah. he's been he's leaned into it for comedic purposes, of course. I mean, and, and it is kind of funny to hear him talk about. Uh, well, I did this really terrible movie. Why was the Why was the costume uh, animated? You know, there's those jokes attached to it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, it, look, it's it's a it's a form of of survival for for an actor, and I understand that. But even that being said, the philosophy behind the costume, I actually really appreciate it because it's not. It's not made of fabric, right? I mean, it's right. supposed to be conjured out of uh, out of the ring bearer's will. So the idea of the costume being computer generated that never bothered me. 
and really the way that it's kind of explored in the movie you see his will pouring into the ring from the rest of his body on the costume and i thought that was a really cool design choice i uh, i yeah i 100% agree i think that it looked so cool and not only that but um, that every lantern like it it looks different on Kilowog. it looks different on tomari uh, which makes yeah. sense they 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 obviously think differently than humans think so it's a really so I thought it was such a cool design choice, like you said, and uh, and that that never bothered me at all. They were like, "Oh, it's going to be a CG costume." I'm like, "Well, that makes perfect sense." And I think it even yeah. even now, I think it looks fine. It looks fine. Yeah, I mean, if anything, um, the movie does have maybe too much of a of a CG aesthetic. I probably would have preferred more real world sets on Oa because the the um, I don't know, the quality of the location CG is the thing that I think I find the most distracting. But that's not to say that it's bad, especially for the time. And uh, the philosophy of trying to make everything look as alien as possible is something that I welcome. I mean, Green Lantern is supposed to be that cosmic franchise that is otherworldly. It was trying to be what Guardians of the Galaxy ultimately succeeded at being. Yeah. In just, uh, you know, that, that different kind of door into the cosmic side of, of comic book storytelling. And, and um, I'll be really curious to see whenever and wherever we see the Green Lantern again in a movie, what is uh, informing whatever the next take is going to be. I mean, we saw glimpses of that in Justice League, and it mm -hmm. sounds like we might see further glimpses of that in the Snyder Cut. But uh, all things considered, I appreciated the design philosophy, but there were definitely components of it that were a little distracting. I... I will actually disagree with you. I I thought oh it looked really just I thought it just looked lazy, like it just <laughs> like that's just my my take on that. Like you know I appreciate what you're saying, um, but to me it was just like it can look you know when you talk about Guardians of the Galaxy it can look alien but still have some sort of universal look to it if, if that makes any sense. It just uh, to me, I just looked at it like, this doesn't, I don't know. Not that I, I think it should have looked like a precinct or something like that, but I don't know. It just, uh, and again, you know, we talked earlier about um, Secret Origin. It's like Secret Origin had some really cool stuff in it, one of them being that all the buildings in Oa were yellow, and and Hal Jordan, like, called, called the Guardians out on it. You know, it's like, you know, all the buildings here are yellow. Like, what are you afraid of? And they're like, you dare accuse us of being afraid and they kind of do that in the movie, but uh, it's just like, man, like there was so much, they, they were, it's like they had a list of stuff they were checking off and some of it, they just, uh, they just kind of glossed over. It's like, well, how important is this? How important is the look of Oa? Not that important. Doesn't matter. It's not in the movie that much. Well, and, and I mean, what you bring up is, is one of the broader character points that's just not really that sufficiently explored in the movie because yes in secret origin he the thing that is so disruptive about hal jordan being inducted into the core even when he's just a white circle is mm -hmm. that he is disruptive to the chain of command and he questions the authority of the guardians because they haven't proven what their authority is to him yet yeah and uh the fact that he's sort of casting doubt on what their own motivations are and the fact that they're offended by that is 
is something that could have probably leaned into this movie a little bit more. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing really compelling at all in the film about the Guardians. They're there, and yeah. they look okay, uh, but kind of, I guess, but they're just kind of, they're the generals, and they don't really have any personality whatsoever. I think they named a couple of them, like Scar was in there, which I thought was strange, and I think they named Ganthet in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's nothing distinctive about the Guardians, and there's nothing to make you think that uh, you should be questioning the the origin of their authority over the core. Yeah, and uh, and that's something that is just a huge missed opportunity because, as we know, Hal Jordan and Authority don't generally mix very well. Right, and they touch on that at all in the movie. It's and you know, and like I said before, the the animated Green Lantern First Flight movie, which I assume you've seen that. Um, oh yeah, I saw it when it came out. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I saw it day one when it when it came out. I I I recently rewatched it, and it's interesting. All the stuff we're talking, most of the stuff we're talking about, with the exception of Carol, she's not really in the movie that much. But it's like they, in in half the runtime, they I mean they nailed almost everything. They nailed Hal's, you know, kind of, you know, you know, challenging the authority. They, they nailed how the Guardians are, you know, the the quote unquote like you know well guardians of the universe but Sinestro isn't afraid to be like well what makes them what makes them so special why are they the guardians and you know Hal and Sinestro's relationship in general it just there was uh, so much done right in that again in half the runtime that it just I, I, I look at this movie and I go man like you had a whole other hour to really get into you know who these characters are to each other and to the audience and you just you know it, it just you know just a like you said a missed opportunity which is which is uh, unfortunate uh, because there is it, it is still fun to watch i you know the last fight between hal and parallax is pretty cool it's it's you know um and and ryan reynolds i mean like he nails that damn oath you know when it's really cool in the beginning when he's trying to <laughs> it's really funny you know it's a great scene when he's trying to get like charge the ring and that's one of my favorite lines in the movie he says he's like okay recite the oath because everybody knows the oath it's just (laughs) um the way he does that scene is so so dang funny and then and then you know when the the oath is pulled out of him it's such i i remember watching in the movie theater just my jaw on the floor going that's awesome and then even and then even later when he's fighting parallax he recites the oath, and that's where he gets his strength from. I was like, yes! You, and, like, you had it. You have, again, you have all the right ingredients. You know, like, you just, you were that close. That, that, that close. But unfortunately... And that's really one of the things that I feel like the movie did a really good job about is is emphasizing the alienness of the technology and how it interacts with, with a human being. Yeah. Like, the... How the oath comes to him is a perfect example because it's almost jarring. Like you get the sense that when he's actually being inducted into the core, that it's a it's a very not traumatizing, but at least kind of debilitating experience as it's trying to adapt to new physiology. Mm -hmm. And then you know when the when the oath comes to him, and it's almost like it's a it's an entrancing process where he's actually being fed 
what the oath is into his mind and and starts to recite it. Yeah, that's that's a really cool moment, and it's not something that they leaned hard enough on. Right. Uh, in terms of of his adjustment to be actually being a Greenlander. Um, you know, and and that's funny. You know, we we talked about Taika Waititi earlier, and I think the scenes with him and Hal are, are really good. You know, and uh, like when he says, you know. He says, oh, it, the, the ring said it had to choose a protector or a warrior. I forget the exact terminology, but he says, he says, oh, maybe on their on their planet, warrior just means asshole. <laughs> um, it's just and then even even later when, uh, you know, when he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, show me. And so he tries to, you know, put the suit on and he's like, did you break it already? It's just like, <laughs> um, I, I, I love that they had those two characters. They they looked uh like they felt like friends to me, and and again another you know unfortunately another missed opportunity where it's like we could have had you know Tom and Carol and Hal have this really cool Scooby Gang quality to them, um, but then again it's again it's just you know whatever they were thinking when they were making it, um, but hopefully Taika gets his uh, he'll get his second chance with Suicide Squad although we don't know who who he's playing although there's a few theories floating out there um which uh and e- either way it's like i'm excited about that like i'm excited you know what we do in the shadows is one of the absolute funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life and <laughs> um yeah. and you know and i think he brought a really interesting and very different visual language to thor so it's you know so i'm i'm looking forward to to his future with dc i'm looking forward to you know like you said earlier about um um you know, Green Lantern, uh, you know, they're going to, apparently they're doing the HBO Max show that, you know, um, I, there's a lot that I'm looking forward to. Uh, and it just, it's, it, it stinks that if this was the first attempt, it's like it, it, again, it had, it had, it, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of right. They did a lot right. It's just that let's take what worked and let's, let's expand on that. And I hope that with Greg Berlanti, actually at the helm this time it'll given what he's done with like the Arrowverse and a couple of the DC Universe shows I think I think we're in for a treat yeah I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm generally optimistic I mean the idea of an episodic Green Lantern series maybe it's better suited considering the um, there's a pretty intense amount of backstory that, that kind of governs most modern Green Lantern stories today mm-hmm. and uh, I, I mean I tend to think that that's a strength just because it means that there's a really key and core mythology that's at play but um, honestly I mean if I, I know every every fan says this but I mean if I if I had the budget and if I was the idea man behind it honestly <laughs> the thing that I would love to do is a single season of TV with Abin Sir as a uh, as the as the main character mm-hmm. and the last episode ends with his ship going down which leads into a movie with Hal Jordan I feel like that would be a really effective way to tell the full gravity of the story and really what makes Hal Jordan uh, special in terms of of his place in the core uh, but the fact that they're they're going with uh, an, an episodic kind of formula for Green Lantern that's encouraging to me. Honestly, I'm surprised that they're they're giving it to Berlanti again. But as we've already talked about, the shortcomings of the movie were certainly not 
uh, solely his fault. Right. Um, you know, they, they, they thought that what they had was probably going to be the next Iron Man. And mm-hmm. it clearly didn't work out that way, but it could have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether or not the, the new show will take those lessons learned and push things in a more truthful direction is anybody's guess at this point, but it's at least encouraging that they haven't given up and that they're, they're going to try and push things forward. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Um, and, you know, and there's so many Green Lanterns that we, we can choose from now. You know, there's obviously John Stewart and Guy Gardner, Kyle, um, but also, you know, the, the newer additions uh, like, um, you know, Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz, who are great characters. Sam Humphrey's run on Green Lanterns was fantastic. Um, and I, you know, so, I mean, they could go in that direction, which would, you know, and, and Green Lantern lends itself to what people are screaming for nowadays, which is diversity. Um, and it's it's all about that, you know, it always has been with Green Lantern. So um, I think it's, you know, I think it's I think it's just right for what what people are, are craving nowadays. So I'm very uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And open it up too, to to other characters that we know are out there and that could uh, that could potentially be really interesting. I would love to see Sodom Yacht in mm-hmm. a live action adaptation. The idea of a Daxamite who's very physiologically similar to a Kryptonian, uh, combining that might with a with a Green Lantern ring, that seems like a cool potential opportunity. And he was always a cool character, especially by the time he actually got control of Ion. And uh, I mean, I still love one one of my favorite parts of the Sinestro Corps War is a part that's not written by Johns. That's just Sotomayor going toe to toe with Superboy Prime. Oh yeah, I yeah. Love that part. It's yeah. just it's it's really solid and really cool. But it's also something like not that moment specifically, but that's just an example of of some of the cool heights that you can see. But also Saronic Natu, mm-hmm. Sinestro's daughter. Uh, holy hell, she turned into a, a pretty important character for a while, and I think now she's a little bit more on the villainous side. But while she was a member of the core and was like a doctor on the front lines, trying to to make sure that all of the lanterns were were uh, were properly served while they were in the middle of major battles. That's a that's a cool idea. There's so many different elements that you can explore that we associate with kind of military fiction mm-hmm. or even just regular military storytelling. But then you amp that up into a cosmic setting. There is no limit to the kinds of stories that you can tell in the Green Lantern's corner of the DCU. So I hope that they fully understand. The, the the greatness of the world they have access to absolutely well man this this has been a lot of fun um and it's it's great to talk to somebody uh you know like like-minded in this term where we can we can look at this movie and go man it it was almost good as opposed to going what a piece of shit um <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean it's it's always great getting you on the show and uh you know i mean it's only been your second time but um you know, you're always welcome to come back. Um, it's it's great been to, you know, I, I've I've heard you on like the Batman on Film podcast, of course your Comics Binge podcast, you know, all the thirty others that you're on. Um, <laughs> um, so it's uh, yeah, you know, you're you're a busy guy, so I'm glad you uh, you made time and and uh, congrats on the baby. That's uh, you know, very very exciting, and I know you're uh, you're you're getting ready to move. So good luck good luck with that. That's 
not easy, not fun, but uh, ultimately worth it, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully I'll actually have, uh, have gotten a few good nights of sleep, because right now it's not happening. But uh, <laughs> trying to organize a cross-country move in the middle of a pandemic isn't exactly the, the easiest thing to do, especially with, uh, with a, a four-month-old and, uh, and a couple cats, too, that I have to drug and take on an airplane with me but <laughs> other than that i can't complain yeah things are, things are going well but thank you for the invitation I, I appreciate coming back yeah of course of course all right so folks we are wrapping up here um you know tune in to uh you know batman on film podcast uh chris is on a couple other guests like uh, uh peter and uh you know he's and peter vera has been on um you know those, those guys uh, they do good work over there uh and it's it's nice that you know i told peter this too it's like i feel like i'm becoming friends with all you guys um and i really and i really like that i really feel it's it's great to have this great um support group of of like-minded fans you know and it's like let, let's just talk about the stuff we're excited about let's talk about you know how excited we are for the future of dc and uh, the future of comic book movies in general and you know, so it's it's great to it's great to get into those conversations with you guys. So I'm glad I'm glad our paths have crossed. Yeah, likewise, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's always good when uh, when fandom gives way to positive communities where we can express what we love instead of dwelling on what we hate. That's uh, that's always the the better option in uh, my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thanks again, Chris. Uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll be in touch. You know, good luck to you. And, uh, and to all of you out there, beware our power, Green Lantern's light. <laughs>